Empire. Ticketing continues to go to a next level. There's been more volatility across the high demand events and the low demand events. So you've got your big events that there is no price ceiling that people aren't willing to pay. And then you've got the low demand events where there's probably no dollar amount that you can pay people to attend. Yeah. Right? You know, your Saturday rival games versus your Tuesday interrupt conference game. That's Stu Hallberg, CEO of Logitix, who is watching the maturation and technological advances in the ticketing marketplace. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. We have heard of a variety of different thought processes when it comes to the tickets and how they can be accessed, resold, and used for a variety of purposes. And this is the world that Stu Hallberg resides as his company navigates the needs of modern fans. Our guest this week is Stu Halberg. He is the CEO of Logitix, which partners with sports organizations, performing arts venues, and music events to provide ticketing technology designed to optimize revenue and attendance. Hi, Stu. How are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great, Bram. I'm pumped to be here with you. Tell me a little bit about what was. Uh, actually, I thought you did a great job just <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> You know, a little bit of the elevator pitch. You know, we are a ticketing technology provider that offers products and services to help streamline and optimize both pricing and distribution of live event tickets. Maybe a little bit uh, more simply put, whether you are a sports team, a league, a school, an artist, a promoter, a venue, a professional ticket seller, uh, just simply we help you sell more of your ticket inventory for more money. Okay. And how do you go about doing that? Uh, so we really partner with with uh, teams, venues, artists, et cetera, in a couple different ways. Uh, we have really two different approach- approaches, both a managed service offering and, uh, and a self-service platform that we offer. Uh, the core of how we help these organizations, like I mentioned, helping them sell their tickets. And we do that through really three Ds, dynamic pricing, distribution, and access to data. Um, the economics of our relationship, mostly either through a revenue share on transactional revenue or even a monthly or annual subscription, and the way that we work with our partners is, is really just through constant communication, scheduled calls, collaborative Slack channels, and uh, really just always working with them to help execute on their ticketing strategies. Okay. Um, let's talk about the current state of all of this. I'm old enough to remember that they offered me a ticket. I could buy it at a price, and that's the way it was. And there was a secondary market that was illegal for a long time, but then suddenly it became legalized. And they offer me a price to buy it, and that's what it is. Um, Could you kind of take me through what is different now in the modern ticketing markets? Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny because what's the different now is going to be different tomorrow and two days ago. Um, ticketing is truly an ever evolving industry. I think that, you know, most industries would say that, but I truly believe that with ticketing. It's one of the reasons why I love it. Uh, right now, this is the biggest evolution that we're seeing is just how interested the general population is in ticketing. You mentioned before, uh, the good old days, you kind of, you put your money into the money machine and a ticket pops out and you get to attend your live events and you're happy. And, um, and now whether it's from a combination of social media, having this concept of a digital town hall or, or maybe shifting dynamics and strategies, it just seems like everyone is interested in ticketing, whether it's legislators and public policy generators, 
it's private equity investment going yeah. crazy in ticketing. Even my grandma, like they all just want to talk about ticketing, which is which is an awesome thing. Uh, we genuinely believe scrutiny, competition, all drive innovation, and um, and and we're really tackling that head on. Um, you mentioned secondary market. Uh, you know that's obviously a big part of what's changing with respect to ticketing. Um, I do think that you're now not only seeing the, the legalization of the secondary market, but you're actually starting to see primary and secondary being commingled. And my sincere hope, and I think this will come true in the near term, is that terminology like primary and secondary actually goes away. Hmm. And you just referred to a universal ticket ecosystem. And there's a lot happening, a lot of which we're at the forefront in. Uh, but for now, you're starting to see a lot more price volatility on the secondary, yeah. variability on the secondary. And I think the best part of it is you see a lot more inventory on the second secondary market because on the secondary, an event is never sold out. So it actually makes inventory and live events more accessible to anyone ever. Okay. Um, let's talk about acquisition of the tickets. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of, it depends on the popularity, obviously, of the particular events, but you know, people like myself feel like it is very difficult to get a ticket from the primary source that these are bought up by companies. So as you kind of think about the future of ticketing itself, um, how do you go about it and think about it in an equitable manner where the fans of the event are able to kind of get first dibs at these tickets? Yeah. Uh, I love that question as a economist by trade. Um, Equitable is, is uh, you know, a word that can be taken in a lot of different directions. I think here's the challenge, and, and the one that everyone likes to talk about is Taylor Swift because that caused the most ruckus. You know, she's playing three nights in New Jersey at a 60,000-seat venue that's 180,000 seats, and they've got about 3 million people in that metro area who want access to the tickets. So how do you distribute those equitably? I have no clue. <laughs> uh, the economist in me says you price it to the point where only the 180,000 people who are willing to pay the price are, are able to go. That is incredibly overly capitalist, and I don't think that actually works well with the industry like live event ticketing, and you've got very irrational fan buyers who don't want to hear that. Um, to your point around the companies who are going and buying up the tickets, I would maybe make the argument that the companies like ourselves are actually more service providers who are giving those uh, artists and teams more tools and services to reach those fans directly. Uh, you know, I don't think there's as much the concept of resale arbitrage. Like I actually think ticketing companies like Ticketmaster and Access and Tickets.com have done a really good job of doing things, implementing things like verified so that fans are getting the tickets. The problem is there's just way more fans than there are tickets. And that's where you hear a lot of the noise from. Yeah. And Congress is hearing a lot about fees. Um, can you talk about fees and what you think the future is? Because when I go on a secondary market and I purchase a ticket, I am surprised at what pops up in the checkout button after it's over. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the bigger problem is not the actual fees. It's how they're being implemented. It's you know, the concept of drip pricing where it takes you 10 clicks to get to the final price. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast for the life of me. I can't remember who, but they made a very profound to a hammer on Amazon. That the hammer dollars, but Amazon has four dollars of distribution fees baked in. But you're willing to pay eight dollars for the hammer, and you were really excited to pay eight dollars for that hammer. You don't see a hammer being listed for four dollars, and then at the checkout, it's eight. You're Correct. Like, what the heck just happened? So I think it's less an issue with the fees because at the end of the day, 
starts to vivid seats public, you kind of have a good idea of where those fees are going. It's a very competitive marketplace to get those customers' eyeballs to transact. So I think it's more of a issue of how those fees are being administered than the actual volume of the fees. So, you know, there have been marketplaces who have come out and said, we're going to stop, we're going to use this all-in pricing. Uh, ticket marketplace called TickPick that we partner with very well. We love those guys. They've been uh, implementing all-in pricing for the longest time. You land on a page, the price you see is the price you're going to pay. I think that's excellent. It's put them at a competitive disadvantage because that initial price is going to be higher than what you see on the other marketplaces, but they have stuck to their guns with that respect. In general, uh, legislators, Washington, D.C., Capitol Hill, I think they got plenty of other things to do besides, you know, ticketing. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> oh, their voters <laughs> are, yeah, their voters are a lot of Taylor Swift fans and they're very vocal. So they, I think they have to spend some time on it. Yeah. But in general, I am personally a big fan of keeping, you know, uh, public policy out of free market. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Let me just talk about pricing just in general. Um, so I, again, this is non-scientific and this is just as someone who likes to go to live events, but the cost, especially at concerts has been surprising to me and not just Taylor Swift, where there's this massive demand for, to go see her, but a number of them across the board. Um, am I wrong? Is it, is it way more expensive to go see a live event these days than it, than it used to be? It is. It's also way more expensive to put on a live event, right? If you think about the production value that yeah. goes into these, there's actually hard materials. Um, we have seen the average price of all live event tickets have actually increased at a rate higher than inflation. Usually it's actually fairly, you know, uh, equal and linear to inflation as prices go up. So the ticket prices, I think what is happening as dynamic pricing has become more acceptable, uh, as vendors have come out and made it easier to eliminate the friction and make those decisions. I think that the rights holders, the decision makers around the tickets are just being more and more willing to push the envelope to see how much the consumer is willing to pay. And the consumer at large is really just willing to pay more. Uh, you know, I think part of it, and I swore I'd stop talking about the pandemic now that we're, what, three plus years into it. I still think there is some residual of people really like being together live in person. Um, so I think a lot of it is just the ticket prices follow the offer. And as long as people are willing to pay those prices, that trend will continue. Now, there have been plenty of examples where artists have gone on sale and they've maybe maybe overshot that. And you've had to cancel shows because cough, cough, they say they're sick. In reality, yeah. they're just not selling tickets uh, or there's empty buildings. And so we do expect to see a reversion to the mean. But until the point that consumers are no longer willing to pay those prices, they're going to keep going up. Let's talk about uh, sports teams a little bit. You know, I've, obviously the concert markets, at least in general, seem like they've kind of exploded. How about sports in general? Have have ticket prices kind of leveled out? Are they continuing to go up? What, what are you seeing in the sports marketplace? Yeah, uh, definitely no one size fits all answer. One of the biggest trends people have been talking about for even prior to the pandemic is that there's been more volatility across the high demand events and the low demand events. So you've got your big events that there is no price ceiling that people aren't willing to pay. And then you've got the low demand events where there's probably no dollar amount that you can pay people to attend. Yeah. Right? You know, your Saturday rival games versus your Tuesday intra conference games. Um, so that being said, every league has different goals around revenue dynamics, right? The NFL, 
I don't think they need to sell a ticket and every team would still make a lot of money because of merchandise and TV deals, et cetera. Uh, but we have different leagues where, you know, ticketing gate revenue means more. Even within a specific league, different teams have different goals. Uh, but there are some common denominators with respect to sports teams. Uh, one of the things we talk about is, is focus on the core of their fans and that's their season ticket members and subscribers and making sure that, that you're giving them a very memorable experience. And every team is doing that amazingly. Uh, second, just being nimble and flexible is all just so critical. Live events change so fast, right? Messi's playing and then he isn't. And then the team is giving refunds, which is crazy. And uh, you just have to be prepared to shift strategies and, and communicate well when you do that. Uh, and then sports teams, you know, I think it's kind of funny. You think of Dallas Cowboys, New York Yankees, massive, massive brands. They're not big businesses, right? They've got a couple hundred employees. They're doing hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> yeah. of revenue. That's not a big company. Uh, and they have not necessarily invested in innovation to support being that big of a brand. So finding ways to use technology to help decision-making and implementation of that decision-making Having a really good process to evaluate a build versus buy strategy, meaning either invest resources internally or work with third-party vendors like ourselves to help you accomplish your goals. Okay, that was an incredible elevator pitch to massive brands like the Cowboys. <laughs> what, why? Why? Okay, why haven't they innovated that way? What What are they saying? They, they are a massive, enormous, priceless brand. Why, why haven't they grown? Yeah, part of it is, and uh, and I know quite a few folks there, and they're actually amazing. Uh, there are some limitations. Uh, there are exclusive ticketing agreements that they have signed. Those behemoth ticketing companies, uh, you know, just sometimes it's harder to change. Uh, like anything, there's just, when you look outside, more opportunities, more option, more innovation when you have smaller third-party vendors who are hyper-focused on one specific part of their business. Right, Dallas Cowboys have 19 different revenue generating departments. Each one of those revenue generating departments has a counter third party vendor who is hyper focused and have built large successful companies just in support of uh, those strategies to build those departments. So I think part of it is just return on energy. Some of it is they just don't have to. Like I mentioned, ticketing, ticketing revenue doesn't mean a lot to NFL teams. So why would they spend yeah. all their time and energy investing in that? Okay, let me uh, ask another non-scientific, just observational question to you that you might know something about or the answer to, which is specifically with the traveling of fans in large quantities to other stadiums. Um, is that, am I seeing this on television? Am I seeing, am I, should I believe what I'm seeing of how many people it appears now have turned into traveling sports fans that go and, for lack of a better term, invade the other team's stadiums across the board. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've seen that more or less than we have previously. I think there's an inherent tribal nature that is part of this. Uh, I also think, in reference just the, the, the drastically different and vol volatile uh gap between high demand and low demand events. Yeah. Sometimes it's cheaper to go and travel and bring, you know, 20 of your best friends to another game. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, it's great to see coming off the last night Monday night football. Uh, tickets are incredibly expensive and it's becoming way cheaper to actually jump on a flight, fly Delta from our great Detroit uh, Delta hub and yeah. go take in a game elsewhere. And it's just a great experience. And it also helps obviously when your team is good. Um, so I don't know if I've necessarily seen it more or less, 
but I do think economics play a big part in that um, that process. Are you on the, we've talked to a lot of groups that work with teams or events for that matter that do what they're calling like digital passports with the ticketing. Are you in that technological side of working with teams and entities in that way? Uh, we're not, you know, we, we are pretty hyper-focused on the individual event inventory. You know, the fan who wants to go to a single game, whether they are a fan visiting from out of town, whether they, uh, just have a favorite team who's in town, uh, you know, so not somebody who's kind of making the investment on a larger scale commitment or purchase to an organization. Okay. All right. Well, then leave it, let me leave you with this and let's go back to something you had said earlier, which is you're, you're surveying what is, um, what could be a very different future in how teams, entities, artists supply their tickets, what a primary or secondary market could be, or it could meld into one big ecosystem what what is the future of ticketing in the short and long term? Um, yeah, I, you know, again, ticketing is moving so fast. I think in the short term, two things stand out to me. One is enhanced control of ticketing. Um, you know, I think right now, even in Washington D.C., there's a lot of debate around access to tickets and control. Uh, what can rights holders and even consumers do with the ticket once they have access to it? Um, there is some pretty nascent technology that's currently out there that, you know, allows things like limiting transfers of digital tickets. But I do think the technology is going to evolve pretty rapidly and pretty soon to allow some level of control over what happens to this temporary asset to a seat in the building. And I think that has implications around security and knowing your fans, et cetera, things like that. And then the last thing that I actually think is, is, is the most interesting uh, with respect to a future view in live events and ticketing is is just what's happening with digital events. Um, I just saw a podcast, another one recently with Lex Friedman and Mark Zuckerberg, and they were speaking completely in the metaverse using some new hardware from Meta, and it was totally indistinguishable that they weren't in the same room. Mm. So I think whether you start to think about Algorand has been around for a while, augmented or virtual reality, other digital universes, um, or even when the hardware just gets so advanced that haptically you feel like you're at a live event and you cannot distinguish that you're not, we're going to see a very different approach to just how events are, are being distributed. Uh, and, and by that, really a change to how ticketing is being administered as well. I refuse to accept a secondary market for a virtual event. I will not be gouged to get into that virtual event. So. Just wait till movie theaters. They're, they're dynamic <laughs> pricing, so uh, you get in line. Uh, Stu Halberg is the CEO of Logitex. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, Bram. Really appreciate it. Nice to talk to you. On the next Future Sport Podcast, how micro betting continues to mature in sports broadcasting. Yeah, I think what we've seen um, recently is the proliferation of data moving out towards more of the general fan and more of the general public audience member. Um, and broadcasters, operators uh, are looking to capitalize on that knowledge that the fan has um, and create new experience against the new types of data that are coming into play, like the player tracking data. That's Mark Silver, Executive Vice President, Product and Sports Performance at Sport Radar, where new tracking technology is helping everyone, including betters, understand the players, teams, and marketplace. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.